Today on Marketing Management and Money, we're going to get the chance to pick Ryan's brain on section three of his book, Startup Marketing. So uh, for those of you that have been following, we've done uh, the previous uh, chapters of his book, and now we're getting into that section three, which is a bit more about cash. Um, I know you talk about some break-even and a few other things in there that we'll get to in, during this discussion, but um, I want to start out that um, in business, we always use that term, cash is king. Yeah. And you kind of bring it up in the beginning of the book and the importance of cash and and uh, kind of what happens when you run out of cash. And so maybe we can start there today. Well, I like to sum up what happens when you run out of cash is bad things happen. <laughs> I mean, whatever those bad things are, you fill in the blank. But uh, yeah, you have to have cash uh, for your business. And that's what's going to kill your startup. So one of the things that I feel is misunderstood about this section is uh, a lot of people think that I'm telling you, you don't want cash. Uh, You know, we we talk about the low cost, uh, low cash startup model. Mm -hmm. And it's this whole idea of, well, uh, shouldn't I want cash? Don't don't I want to go after as much cash as possible? And this is where it's really important to understand the MS approach that we covered in the last section. Uh, You won't understand why you don't want a lot of cash here if you're not following the MS approach. If you're following the SS approach, then you're going to go after as much cash as possible. Uh, But if you're following the MS approach, then the distinction between wanting cash and limiting cash is one of the distinctions between test phase and launch phase. Once you're in the launch phase, uh, it's healthy to go after cash because you already know what works and you're ready to move into that that launch and you're ready to invest cash into your business. But in the testing phase, you're not ready to do that. So actually going after cash can put artificial hurdles that are going to make it difficult for you to be successful as a startup. And so that's that's what I tried to explain uh, in this section. And it really is, it's not a complicated concept, but it's so counterintuitive to everything we've been told that we make it complicated. You know, people start overthinking it and they're just like, well, what about this? And what about this? And I'm like, okay, you're going back to a business that has already launched. If you just keep it on, this is the test phase then you don't have to worry about all that what about this scenario. Right. And I I like when you talk about bad things that going out of business is going to be the least of your worries when it comes to bad things. (laughs) So true. But I think that that merits a little bit of clarification. So, well, well, and I should probably let you cover this one, but when you go out of business, that's, Great, that's fine and dandy, but if you've been borrowing cash and there's uh, some relationships involved with that, or it's from a bank and you have a personal guarantee on some of that, um, I'm telling you, shutting your doors is the least of your worries about what's going to happen and going out in the future. Yeah, and so I'd like to add this to it. When I'm in the test phase, I am fully open to going out of business, and that's not a negative And that's another distinction of the difference between the test phase and the launch phase is when I'm testing something, 
I am 100% okay with that test failing and me saying, oh, okay, that's not going to work and just moving on. And so when you're making this comment and you're saying that going out of business is the least of your worries, that's correct if you're doing the MS approach. If you're saying, I'm going into this with an open mind. I am trying to, you know, look objectively at the data, look objectively at the customer responses and customer feedback and not be so subjective that it's, you know, it's a failure to go out of business. Now, once you enter launch, then you don't want to go out of business because you should have done enough testing to validate that this shouldn't go out of business, that it should be a successful business moving forward. But in the test phase, there's nothing wrong with that. And so just getting to a point where you're like, okay, this isn't going to work. Time to shut my doors. Time to rethink this. Nothing wrong with that. But yeah, you're right. If if you start borrowing cash from friends and family, and now you're supposed to pay back cash or the other thing, maybe you haven't gone out of business, but there's pressure. You know, everyone's excited right at first. But a few months go by and they're like, hey, uh, now what's going on with the business? And, mm-hmm. and sometimes you feel pressured to make decisions in your business that aren't the best decision, but you're trying to appease your investors, your creditors, whoever you know, whoever gave you money. Uh, that puts some undue pressure on there. And and this this level of nuance isn't actually in the book. Uh, that's part of the reason why we're you know talking about it. This is stuff that... Uh, I, I wish I would have put in there, but I didn't want to just ramble on and on and on and on about all of the uh, you know different things that can happen uh, when you start mixing money into you know other people's money into the business. Now you do you do briefly take um, a few pages and talk about because as you get into this, as you're advancing through and you get into this launch position, and you know that I've tested some things and now I do need to acquire some different cash to help me grow to that next plateau. You do uh, talk about some drawbacks of, all right, taking cash from a creditor, taking cra- mm-hmm. cash from an equity relationship. Yeah. And I know we briefly touched on it in one of the prior segments, um, but let's talk a little bit more in depth about that one. And then we'll get into some of those rules that you have listed in this chapter. Yeah. So uh, for me, and, and I want to go back to something that was stated, I, I believe, when we were discussing section one we talked about the difference between a startup and just a small business. And instead of putting an amount of time, you know, i.e. after two years, I'm no longer a startup, I'm now, you know, just a small business. uh, I think that's a, a bad way to look at it. I think the better way to look at it is can you stand on your own two feet? And being able to stand on your own two feet comes back to this idea of where are you getting your cash from? Are you getting your cash internally from your business? If you are getting your cash internally from your business, in the form of sales, uh, yeah. So it's got to filter through the process. So right. you're gonna get you're gonna get the sales. The sales are gonna drop down to uh, profits, and then it's gonna go into your cash flow. And however long it has to flow through that before you can get it out in the form of cash. Uh, so, you know, if you can do that internally, then you're going to be in a great position. Well, unfortunately, a lot of startups can't do that. And so they have to go after funding. And so they're going to go after creditors, which is when you borrow the money and you have an obligation to pay it back or investors, which is where they have some sort of, uh, equity stake in the business, whether that's formal or informal, um, 
And there's nothing wrong with either creditors or investors, but they are going to dramatically change the dynamics of your startup. And the more you borrow or the more that is externally invested, the more you have to pay back. And when you have to pay back, that requires more sales to make it all happen through that, you know, the break-even analysis that's uh, shared in the book. Uh, you use the break-even analysis, and as your cash hurdle increases, so does your sales obligation. And all marketing is a you know marketing is excuse me all sales are a function of marketing, and so now we're required to have better or more marketing to offset all of that cash that we're getting. And, you know, as a startup, you want to lower your hurdles. You don't want to raise your hurdles. You want to make it as easy as possible for you to be successful, not artificially make it more difficult for you to be successful. You know, most people understand when they take a loan and the debt side of it, you know, I have interest and I have time and I have, you know, like personal guarantees and other things on that. That kind of comes a little bit more intuitive to people. Mm Mm-hmm. Where they make a lot of mistakes is when they bring in equity partners. Yes. Okay. Because they're, they're, it's almost the opposite. They're cheap on the front end and expensive in the back end. Will you talk just briefly about some of the drawbacks that come with that specifically equity? Because we always run into people who are looking for equity investors, not understanding uh, the implications that come along with it. Correct. And when we say equity investors, I think this is where we need to start, uh, is understanding that there's a lot of informal equity that people use in their startups and they need to be aware of it. So let's say, for example, that you've got a, a friend who's really good at, you know, like they're going to make a YouTube channel for you and you enlist their services but it's kind of on a handshake agreement where it's like, oh, hey, you know, you're going to put all this work in for me. But at some point, they're going to expect something out of it. And so, you know, understanding, okay, are we getting into a formal equity where there's an actual percentage of ownership um, and there is, you know, like a, a, a rate of payback? Uh, and when I say payback, I'm not saying a payoff, but a return on investment. And, you know, or is it informal where someone is expecting that they're getting sweat equity from the business? And and, and so you got to understand what you're getting into when you're looking at this. And you've got to understand that with it, not only do you have to pay back uh, a return on investment and that return on investment needs to be of a reasonable value. Like, you know, they took a lot of risk on you. They uh, put a lot of sweat equity in. Um, But the other thing that you need to be looking at is you need to be looking at the management side. So when someone has, uh, you know, investment in your company, they also have ownership, i.e. management, and they have a say in, in what happens. And that's actually a good thing because it's good to have others that are helping to provide insight and expertise, but you want to be careful. Like you don't want to partner up with someone uh, on an equity side of things that has no interest, no expertise, uh, no buy-in, you know, that that was kind of air quotes buy-in of your company. If they're only putting money in, 
And we see this happen a lot with professional investors, with VCs and angels, where it's just a portfolio. And, and that's very risky for the entrepreneur to be part of someone else's portfolio. You want to be part of something that someone is passionate about, not they're just hedging their bets with you. Yeah. All right. So before we get into break even, let's talk about the four rules that you kind of list that kind of have connections with cash as you move forward. And that first rule is these rules only work for startup small businesses. And so, you've, you've made that point, you've, you've tried to make that point very clear through the whole book that you've got to play by different rules. You've got to stop looking at that large business and how they're doing things because they don't work that well for startups. Yeah. And, and this is, I mean, this is where we kind of kicked off this section was talking about the idea that I'm suggesting that you want to keep your cash hurdle low uh, for the startup phase. But if, if, an, if an existing small business came to me and they had been in business for five years and they had a growth opportunity and they said, hey, I read your book and uh, it sounds like you're saying don't, don't invest in this growth opportunity that I should just try and do it on my own. I would say, no, 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 you're misunderstanding. The point is not to not invest. Uh, you know, if I've been in business for five years and I have a growth opportunity and I can go ahead and get a loan or get an investor, I'm going to take that opportunity. I should because I have a history that I can build on. I know that my model works. This is not, I'm not trying to prove or validate the model. I'm trying to grow and expand the model. And so you really need to understand the difference between startup marketing and ongoing marketing. So that would be, that'd be rule number one to, to look at. So rule number two ultimately is that um, without cash, a business just is not in business. Yeah. Uh, th this one's pretty self-explanatory, but uh, I get amazed at how many businesses think that sales are going to keep them in business, profits are going to keep them in business. I'm like, no, it's cash that keeps you in business. And, uh, you know, I'm not going to go into the uh, financial, uh, you know, understanding of, of what that is, but cash is the money that you actually have. And so you can have all the sales in the world. And, and, and I guess I'm going to hit uh, on that point right there is to say too many businesses think that sales are going to get them out of a cash bind. Sales don't get you out of a cash bind. And so you need to understand that, especially in the startup phase. Uh, you know, you need to know where's your cash coming from and how long is that cash flow cycle? You need to understand those two things. Yeah. And that's, uh, I know you have other episodes you've covered in the past that talk specifically about that, not tied to this series that we're doing, you know, with the book, but um, I know you have some good information about that because that is an important concept to understand mm -hmm. uh, in small business. All right. Number three is uh, then of course uh, this has kind of been a theme through the book as well. And that's try to use less cash than the industry. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, this is, simply put, if you look at professional athletes, why does a professional golfer go weight train in the gym? You know, why don't they spend all their time just out on the golf course practicing their swing? The reason is, is you need that resistance. You need that challenge given to you to make you a better golfer. And so I'm looking at this for the same thing for business and saying, challenge yourself Force yourself to do things that are harder, that develop strength. 
and do this in the startup phase. Make your business strong in the startup phase um, because these challenges aren't going away. It's not like magically when you have been in business for 10 years that you no longer have problems. In fact, you're going to have more problems. It's going to get more challenging. The bigger your business gets, the more challenges you have. Everyone erroneously thinks that challenges start to go away. It's like, oh, man, I wish that I could just get to a point where I don't have any problems in my business. I'm like, no, the problems get bigger if you doubt this, look at any major company, how many times do they get sued daily? Like the bigger mm-hmm. you are, the more likely it is that you're going right. to get sued or that you're going to have a uh, labor dispute or you're going to have, uh, you know, serious vendor relation issues. And like the problems get really big. So as a startup, already Give yourself the mindset that I'm going to work harder, I'm going to get stronger, I'm going to give myself a solid foundation, and yeah, I'm going to use less cash than the industry standard. If if everyone, you know, and subtle thing here, if you don't know what the industry standard is, (laughs) (laughs) that's part of the testing in the MS approach is you need to do that correct market research. So if you if you are unaware of what it takes to launch this business uh, financially or you don't know how you compare to other startups, that tells me that you haven't done enough research. You need to spend more time doing the homework and less time, you know, jumping in. Uh, so but anyway, challenge yourself, make yourself better at, at the front. Don't don't wait until you're going to try and make yourself better. All right. So row four now is uh, go for, go for break even. Okay. And as you kind of start to talk about break even, you share a story of a gentleman that you had uh, been working with who had a demolition company. Yeah. Talk about it. It's <laughs> it's, it's it's a great story. So 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 uh, good friend of mine, and uh, I remember talking to him. So he had this amazing demolition company. He built it up. And he started for under four hundred dollars. Uh, he bought, uh, I think it was like a, a jackhammer or something, and then he went out and just did it on his own. He uh, he had some specialized training that allowed him to go out and do this, so he wasn't going into it blind. But he didn't do it with a lot of money. He bought very limited equipment. And he went out and started this this company, and then he was very successful, and he was growing this company and growing this company. Well. As it would be, he actually got sick. He got very sick uh, to the point that there was uh, there was a time that he did not know if he was going to get better. And it was pretty scary because, wow. you know, he had uh, a couple young kids at the time. And, you know, you don't you don't want to abandon your kids uh, at, a, at a young age. And so it, it got pretty ser- serious. Well, while this was going on, uh, his employees, instead of being there to support him, actually started stealing from the company because he was so focused on his health and trying to get better that he could not really uh, do anything with the business. The business got run into the ground, like absolutely run into the ground. And it was kind of devastating to him. Well, he had this thought. He's like, you know what? I started this company once with $400. I can start it again. Now, picture the situation. So he just went bankrupt and it was ugly. He also was fighting serious medical battles. So you can imagine the medical bills. 
this guy's broke and no one's going to give him money. It's like, hey, you just ran a company into the ground. Uh, your debt is racking up. Uh, no one's going to touch him with yeah. any sort of investment. So he really has no other options. And so he goes back to, he's like, well, I made it work for $400. I'll do it again. And he did. But when he did it, he did it with uh, a lot of lessons learned. And he put a lot of safeties in place. Uh, I actually uh, coincidentally ran into him uh, about two months ago. And uh, it was kind of funny because he recognized me. I didn't recognize him, and he made some comment, and it really <laughs> shocked me. Uh, we we were at uh, at this event, and he makes this comment. I'm like, wow, that's kind of a rude comment coming from a stranger. And I look back, and uh, and it was this guy. And I'm like, whoa, you know. And so we caught up, and yeah, he's still in business today. And so this has been, uh, you know, years uh, that that he's been able to run successful. But the whole idea was the reason why he got back into business so easily was that his break-even threshold was always kept low. You know, $400 is not a lot to have to clear. And so he didn't have, you know, investors and creditors that were breathing down his neck constantly saying, hey, when am I going to get paid? When am I going to get paid? And, you know, able to, uh, to build up his company. Now, keep something in mind. A lot of people are probably looking at this and saying, well, yeah, it's a service-based company, and so he can do that. But, you know, I've got inventory, and so I have to invest. But this goes back to that rule of be more competitive than your competition. Do more with less. And so if you look at a demolition company, how many of them are starting with 400 bucks? They're not. They're going out and buying big equipment. They're probably starting for $50,000. And so he was seriously competitive because he didn't have to worry about that. Did it limit some of the jobs that he could take on initially? Yeah, you bet. He was not in a position to take them on, but he also shouldn't have been taking them on. Mm-hmm. He still needed to build up a business and create a foundation And so he had the patience to say, okay, I can't take on those big accounts. Today, does he have big accounts? You bet. You know, I mean, one of his accounts was with Walmart. And I'm like, okay, that's a major company to have an account with. And so, you know, he got to the big accounts, but he was smart and took his time and built up his company before he went after those big accounts. So any small business kind of knows the base behind break-even, that is your sales finally equals costs and so you make zero money right yeah and you know we and we're not going to get into uh fixed cost variable costs things like that as we get into break even but this is where you start to introduce marketing into this break even formula mm-hmm. and and trying to change perspective so as they move forward and thinking about break even they're looking at it from a marketing perspective yeah so <clears throat> In the book, um, there's a really nice visual that it shows kind of this uh, break-even calculation, you know, sales less costs equals zero. Um, And so, you know, break-even happens when sales cover costs, i.e. your sales need to equal your costs, okay? And so if I take that and I look at it and I say my costs, my costs are driven by my cash. Think about it this way. If I have $400, you know, using the example of the demolition, if I have $400 to invest, I'm going to spend $400. If I have $20,000 to invest, I'm probably going to spend $20,000. Even if right. I say, okay, I'm going to put five in the bank and I'm going to spend $15,000. 
I still have raised my costs. You know, the difference between four hundred to you know fifteen thousand, it's significantly different. And you could put whatever hypothetical number in there that you want. You want you want to put a million dollars in there. It doesn't change anything. Okay, those become my costs now. Well, my sales need to equal my costs. Where does sales come from? Sales come from marketing. Everything that introduces sales into the company is some form of marketing. Uh, the signature on your email, the way that you greet your customers, the storefront or the website appearance, the app that you've developed, everything is, uh, you know, that's a form of marketing. And you need to understand that that's a form of marketing. And, and we talk early on in the book the difference between uh, marketing and advertisement. But if we understand that that's a form of marketing, then we can understand that um, all sales are coming from my marketing activities. Therefore, if marketing is driving sales and sales need to equal costs, then marketing is covering my costs. If cash is causing my costs to increase, then the more cash I get, it's also driving my marketing requirements up. And so by keeping low, low cash startup model, by keeping that low, then I'm in a position where I can make my marketing easy for myself as opposed to make it difficult for myself. Great. Now, you run a scenario um, in the last few pages of this chapter that, you know, as people get into it, they start this venture they find out that um, they need additional money to cover some costs, so they go and they get the cash to do it. But it always tends to compound things if they are not working it into that model. Yeah. So this is the short that I would say. Um, if ever you find yourself going back for cash that was not part of your original plan, you made a mistake somewhere. And that's not... an you know, incurable mistake, but it needs to be recognized as a mistake. And, you know, have have the humility to address that and say, okay, I've made a mistake because I'm having to go for cash that I did not foresee that I was going to need. So is my plan off? Are my cash needs off? Is my marketing off? Like, like, what's off? If there's a mistake, that means that we need to fix that mistake somewhere. You know, if, if I'm driving down the road and all of a sudden I get a flat tire, well, if I have a spare tire, it means that I thought ahead that there's a risk that I would get a flat tire and then I change that tire out and I can keep going. But if I don't have a flat tire or a spare tire, then all of a sudden... That went from a minor inconvenience to I'm stranded, you know, like this ruined my whole day or I'm hiking miles or, you know, whatever the situation is, it's a bad situation. And, and so that's how I'm looking at it with, with cash is I'm saying, okay, have, have you thought through the cash that you're going to need? And the problem is, is when people start adding cash, they're inadvertently making that marketing hurdle higher and higher. And so they come up against a problem and they're just like, oh, shoot, I need more cash. I didn't realize I needed more cash. They go get more cash. And I'm like, wait a second, you still have a problem. You know, like if you've got a flat tire because you're driving over uh, rusty nails, 
and you're still driving over rusty nails, well, you might fix that one tire, but you're going to get another flat because this road has problems on it, you know? And so if, if people are thinking that cash is going to fix management issues, marketing issues, employee issues, it won't. Cash won't. So if, if you need more cash than you thought you needed, there's a problem in your plan. You better fix that plan before going after new cash. Now, in the next chapter uh, four, you talk about lowering this marketing hurdle, and we'll we'll do that in the next yeah, episode. Yeah, I've been cheating and sneaking that in a whole bunch of this one. Because <laughs> <laughs> you've mentioned the hurdle, the hurdle, the hurdle a few times now. Um, so I don't, I'm not going to go a whole lot into that one. We'll save that one for that chapter four where you get into the details of that. But it is, uh, ultimately, it comes down to that um, if if you're not paying attention to this stuff, whether you like it or not, your likelihood of failure is is exacerbated. Yeah, it just you're not going to survive that startup phase, and you'll just become another number. Right, right, yeah. And so I, I think that's probably a good point uh, to to leave off with section three. Uh, like I said, I've already been cheating and talking about the low cash startup model that's uh, you know that goes into section four, but uh, may, maybe we'll, uh, we'll we'll leave it there and sounds and good. We'll, we'll, we'll cover some detail when we get into section four. Great. So uh, please watch for the next release of um, the podcast. We'll cover uh, chapter four of Ryan Murray's book, Startup Marketing, where we'll talk about lowering this marketing model or hurdle and, and the model that goes with that. Thanks for joining us, everyone. Mm-hmm.